Welcome to America's Top Rebbitsons. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitsons YouTube page or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. May the learning that we do today be for the Rafu Shalema, for Nahama Bracha, but Haya Leia. I am so honored to have on today's show Gitty Stalek. Gitty is a mother, a grandmother, and she lives in Brooklyn, New York. She's an educator who helps challenged children realize their hidden potential. She's also the author of two books. One book is titled, It's Okay to Laugh, Seriously. And the second book is titled, New Joy, Response to a Changing World. I personally consider Gitty to be an expert on joy and positivity. So thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. So, <laughs> wow, what do I do? Uh, so I'm just going to tell you what I do for what you say, um, to pay bills, so to speak. That's an expression that we use. and But it's not only that, obviously. So I tell you what I love, what I do, what I'm doing. And I do special ed um, with children and absolutely love what I'm doing. And of course, when you incorporate joy, it goes a very, very long way. Well, it's interesting when you ask me that question is, that's what I was doing until my life changed. And I'm still doing that. But instead of having the special ed as my one central focus, I have branched out in a most magnificent way. And so I still love what I'm doing. And on top of that, I feel Hashem has sent me an amazing, amazing gift. And just how it happened was just so interesting, but I'm going to follow your lead. You tell me. Um, okay, so I just going to say that after I wrote the books um, and um, people were giving me all this amazing feedback and, you know, it becomes a part of your life. It's like a baby that's born, always going to tend to that baby. That baby is going to become um, a, a major, major part of your life. But then I realized that we want to do more. And I started giving courses. And uh, I turned it into a five-week series. Like I didn't, it's really a six-week series, but I, I just have to squish it down so it can make time for other things in my life. And um, it's amazing. And we give homework and strategy every week and people, a whole week, they're thinking about how to incorporate their strategy. So they're thinking the way they're processing everything that happens during the week. I have the most interesting stories that they tell the next week, how that strategy came alive in their life quite amazing and we actually start like in what you call in the basement level like we're all living a life with a lot of real knocks and blows and curves and it's amazing to see the faces like by the third or fourth uh, session like even by the beginning of the session like they're just shining at me and it's the most important thing in our life is the well-being in our mind everything is processed by the litmus test of now, how am I feeling about this? Even though we don't notice it, but to become so hyper aware and work on it and be constantly pushing and immersing yourself into the sunny side of the street. It's winter now here for us. And so you always want to walk on the sunny side of the street and to be able in our minds to be able to walk on the sunny side. You know, our minds are like mobile homes. You know, we take them with us wherever we go. And then you can go sit on the beachfront on the most beautiful island but if you took your mobile home along with you, those little six inches over here or whatever is left under there, that's your life. You can't escape it. And so you want to make sure you're living the very, very best life possible. True. 
Yes, very true, very true. And then we're actually, we're gonna, that's what we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about today, how to do that. I mean, because today I would like to delve deeper into the concept of Simha, which is happiness. And Simha is such an important topic. I mean, it's so important, in fact, that you believe that Simha is actually the way out of Gaulus, the way out of exile. And, and this is a fascinating concept to me. So I want to ask you if you can please explain to us more about that. Like, why is Simha the key to our salvation? You know, I love your question. You know how everyone wants to tell their story of how their baby was born or how they got married and they always remember it? Yes. And because that is so significant, your whole life is hinging on those beautiful moments, precious moments. So how did I get started on this? And it's quite fascinating and a lot to learn from the way I got started on it. So really, it was like such a benign situation, something that can happen to anybody. Does anybody have clutter? on the counters and want to clean up their clutter. Of course, we all do. And so, you know, I had these sons that used to bring home things from shul. And so I would call it also a holy clutter sometimes. I say, before I put this stuff, whatever it is, cluttering up my counter into the Seamus bag where you put the holy stuff to be buried, let me just see what it's on it. And I brought the paper along now. And this is the paper that was on my counter that changed my life. And it's changing the lives of so many others incredibly um, if you would, I'm going to share the message in very brief so that you will understand why this changed my life and why this can have an impact and you listening. So this is a, a, a cut and paste. It's like this is going back a number of years when cut and paste was the way we used to put papers together, pages together. And so it's excerpts from a talk by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And uh, what is he saying? He's saying, you know, we did so many different things that were suggested of, in history to get out of this galut, the diaspora. And we're still here. And he listed several things. And one of them was saying copious to heal in Psalms. And we're still here. So what can we do that we have not done yet to get us out? And he proposed something. Now, when the Rebbe proposes, he has never pushed something. It's very humbly proposed. But really, it means it's a magnificent idea, right? So he says we could propose that we will try something that was never tried, and that is joy. Now, hold on. It didn't just say joy. It had like a word next to it. Like it was, uh, you know, you know, the fine, the fine, the, 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 what's it called? Don't sign the dotted line before you read the, come on, help me fine out, Vera. Fine, fine print. Yes. Um, so you got to read the fine print because, you know, that's the real truth is in there. I said, so there was a word. There was simcha, joy, and there was another word, bitaha rasa. Now, I wish I would have held up the word in Hebrew. I have it someplace here. And tahara is pure. Pure, if I find it quickly, I'll take it out. Otherwise, you won't. Um, pure joy. Actually, I did find it. God's with us. Ladies, everybody, whoever's on here, God's with us. Just a little sign. Bitaha rasa, we see the root, bitaha means pure. Pure joy. Now, I barely know what joy is, let alone pure joy. <laughs> what is that secret mystery word that the Rebbe incorporated? This joy, specifically this joy, any joy, but specifically this joy will get us out of Galut. Now, wait. Then the Rebbe finishes, and this is the last line on this excerpt. Adraba yenasu v'yevachachu. This is in Hebrew. Try it, and you will see. That it works. It's effective. Now, if anybody is familiar with the Lubavitcher Rebbe's um, credentials 
as a forecaster, he is like 1000% on the mark, accurate. He's just, he's a prophet. He can't be wrong. So when the Rebbe says this, I go, what? Forget about the Seamus bag. I took a piece of, piece of tape and just stuck it on my wall. And there it was. But I have to tell you what changed then. At that moment, I realized joy is no longer a luxury. Joy has now become a necessity. That's incredible. It's an interesting concept. You know, it's so funny because I was actually speaking to somebody about this yesterday, that, that people think about fun as just like a, something superfluous, something, well, if you can happen, that's fine. But she was saying exactly what you're saying, that fun and joy and happiness and simcha are essential, not a luxury, but essential to the human exactly. mind. Exactly. And furthermore, what it did, it upgraded the whole notion of joy. Like we always see joy as a survival tool. You know, you know, when your joy, laughter, and humor were born, when the first crisis hit, that's when you needed a joke to redeem yourself, to get, to kind of get over it, to diffuse it, to rise above it, to be able to, to go on. So, but now joy is no longer a survival tool, for a, a, a way to survive the gullus. It's a way to get out of gullus. So that's how the concept of joy was when I have to say that I, this hung for many years on my wall. Now I have written articles and actually I've privileged that I wrote articles about such important topics that I still get calls 30 years later for copies of the, uh, the articles. There was a baby about women's obligation in prayer, uh, about Baba Mises and Jewish customs and other different things. But I never wrote a book and I wasn't really interested in writing a book. But no, we have Twerskies in our, in our world. The Twerskies will write the book. And that book is, he's going to share the potent message with the world and he's going to change the world. So I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. I never wrote that particular book. He wrote about a lot. He wrote lots and lots of books. And not the book about this message. And also, what does this mean, this pure joy? So two things happened as a result of this. First of all, day by day, it's dripping into my psyche. Joy is going to change the world. Joy is going to change the world. Joy is going to change the world. And it definitely has an effect. I just want to make right now, right now, if we stopped here, I think we already gained something of utmost value. And that is, first of all, put important life-changing messages on the walls. You know, this is far from fancy. It's not a piece of art, but it's beyond. So those words, they go into our system and drip into our system and keep, they change us drip by drip. That's one thing. The other thing is I actually had a question it's between you and me, okay? But you and I know, we know what our minds are like, right? Yes. And we know how we make those wonderful resolutions. I'm gonna be the best friend, mother, wife, sister, daughter, worker, you name it. And then the next wave comes and washes the resolution away. Yes. Life, galut, facts on the ground. So how, then I was just thinking, and this is like a question I had in the back of my mind the whole time as I'm waiting for someone to write. How is it really going to happen? Because you and I, we know we need to have joy. And if you ever look and say the Psalms, Psalm 100, David declares very clearly, serve God with joy. So it's right there. So why isn't this happening? Why the minute the Rebbe came out with this, why didn't it happen the next day? Joy. Because you and I know it's not so simple.
Yes. I really was not ready to write yet, but this is what happened. I have to share this with you. I guess God had a plan. Okay. God had a plan. And, and what happened is he planted something in my life to make the catalyst happen. So in, essentially I have like three catalysts for how I ended up writing. I just want to make this like little tangent here. Like when I was, I once went to a writing workshop, I went to one writing workshop, but that asked me the most valuable question. Why are you writing about joy? So what do you mean? Like, yeah, everybody would, everybody, why, why, everybody saw this. A lot of people saw this. They're not writing. Why um, are you writing? I said, um, um, yeah, why? So I, if humorously told me, go take a bubble bath and start thinking, why are you writing? So I didn't take the bubble bath, but I did come up with it. So really, I had an amazing, amazing experience with my grandfather, which I write about in this book, New Joy. Mm -hmm. And that's where I start the book. Uh, with an amazing anecdote about my amazing grandfather, whom I call a joy genius, but he made it so easy or um, doable. He just made a shift in my Weltanschauung, in my whole outlook. There was such a shift. And that, and also the experience of watching him at my children's wedding. The, you know, we all know about raw pain, yeah. but I never saw raw joy until I saw my grandfather at, at a wedding of his grandchildren. My, my grandfather lived in Israel. I didn't meet him until I was in eighth grade because in those days, people didn't fly back and forth. He actually came by boat. And, um, and, and when I saw this, the joy and the gratitude and joy that was rolling out of him, it was, I've never seen this before or after. It was like one picture is worth more than a million words of perspective and joy books. So I capture it here. It's like, really, when you read it, everyone tells me like it breaks you teary-eyed, the beauty of it. So it's in here. So that was catalyst number one. Catalyst number two is this page. And then, so what was the final catalyst? So this is how God brought into my life was literally which means clear divine providence. Somebody that called me up and starts telling me about this amazing teacher who was teaching her daughter. And he's right in the middle of a serious class on some Yona or whatever they were teaching, he starts saying something from left field, makes them laugh. And what he really was doing is he was planting values, very important values like Ahavat Yisrael, like Simcha. And why did she tell me about it? Because it's my mechutin. It's the father of my daughter-in-law, who is this teacher, who is this genius of a teacher. And this was so amazing because at that moment, how she, she says, my daughter never tells me anything that goes on in school. You know, she's an adolescent. She's a ninth grader. But here she is. She told me lesson the first time it happened, the whole lesson. And she shared the second time it happened. And at, while we're sharing this, I realized that actually humor, which we always think humor is lovely. And I love humor. I love to laugh. I'm not a big humorist myself, but I, I'm reading, I was reading my book yesterday, Dear, I guess you forced me with those questions to look at my humor. And I said, whoa, this is pretty much funnier than I, than I, I became funnier because I was steeped in it. <laughs> so funny, isn't that? The funniest thing is that I should write a humor book. Um, so, so then I realized humor is not just powerful, but also holy because look what he's doing with it. I said, oh my goodness, I just discovered 
sustainable joy. You know how humor, it's a renewable resource. You can always come up with more humor. What it does, it renews your life. It refreshes, right? It resets. You know, imagine life without humor. It would be like a long run-on sentence of a world with no colors. Humor is amazing. So these are what you call the twin propellers that are keep the joy humming and aloft. So at that moment, I said, that's it. I have a point that I can share. And now I realize that this joy can be doable because we're going to tell the world that humor and laughter can actually work and we can incorporate them in the most magnificent ways. Okay, so that's I love how the way that you mentioned so humor and laughter they're yeah they are very powerful you're right humor and laughter are very powerful tools uh, we can incorporate them so and so you know back to like what we originally started talking about, about how joy can actually bring us out of gullus how can we use this humor and joy to bring us out of gullus like what beautiful the key like what is that key that's what I'm looking for so I love your question now let's see let's see if we satisfy our quest. Okay, so first of all, let's look at laughter and humor as gifts, okay. God-given gifts. Did we ever think of them as God-given gifts? Never. <laughs> no, we just take for granted that there's these things in the world and we have never stopped to think that, you know, that, you know, by the way, that all so many things that God has in the world that he intentionally gave for the Jewish people, like as famously known, gold was created for the Jewish people, right, to build the holy temple and whatever we need. But because he gave it to the Jewish people, by default, the whole world is getting the benefit. And we can look at laughter and humor the same way, even though it doesn't say so clearly anywhere, but it's the same idea. Everything was given for us. Everything was created for us. So what do they do for us? So, you know, you can't be angry at someone who makes you laugh. Like <laughs> laughter is the fastest way to connect hearts. So if you'll notice, the smartest husband is the one that as soon as he sees his wife getting a little tight, begins to laugh. And you know, even if you don't have a joke handy, because you can have a joke handy on every single topic. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes under pressure, you may not come up with something. You may, you may not, depending on what kind of person, but you can always laugh. I know in my course, I don't have time to tell all the stories. We'll see how many I can tell today. But when my husband saw he was in a tight spot and I saw also when I'm in a tight spot, literally you start to laugh. You don't even need a joke. So uh, what I say about laughter, I wrote it in my book, is in, in there. And I saw, I found out yesterday that actually laughter connects us to very high divine levels. Isn't that amazing? Who thinks? We think, oh, it's taking us away from God, right? Like, would you laugh in the middle of Kol Nidre? No. Oh, never dare. But the but point is, okay, everything has its way of being expressed. At that time, we're not going to laugh. But there are a lot of other, all the other times you can laugh. So laughter is actually about letting go and letting God. Laughing to God. You know, when we laugh and I'm thinking, I'm giving it to God. That's what we're really doing when we're laughing, when we're stuck, when we're stuck. And it's really a form of prayer. And without God, I might as well cry. I mean, that's it. It's the end of the road. With God, I can laugh. So whenever you're stuck, you use laughter to get you out. And I remember like once at the airport, I was so stuck. I had these packages. I had cheesecakes um, for my daughter-in-law to making a party. I was bringing these cheesecakes. And then I had two pounds of matzah, fragile matzah in the other package. And then they told me I had to combine my packages. I was running late, combining it. And then my packages are flopping. And I couldn't. I was panicking. I was like, I can't. I can't. And I'm in a hurry. And nothing was working. I felt stuck. I'm, yeah. I'm doomed. 
I'm not going to make that plain. And I, and I, I tried to do things. I lumped the whole thing up. It couldn't move. It was two on one side. I was too, too, I couldn't think anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't rational at that point. I wasn't organized. And then suddenly I started to laugh to myself. As soon as I laughed, I got the strength. Laughter is strength. It's power. It's really divine. Laughter is divine. And in my book, actually, in It's Okay to Laugh, I have a whole explanation explaining about the sublime source of laughter. You won't even, um, can't even begin to imagine how sublime. It goes all the way in and into uh, God's inner essence. It's amazing. And the humor is the trigger. Besides, the humor has its own really amazing properties. And I'm going to share two of them with you. So let's say you have, you're in a tight spot. So there's something called caricature, right? Mm -hmm. And that, what it does, it makes things absurd. So absurdizing is a major humor strategy. So what you do with caricature is you magnify some traits, you shrink others. And sometimes, have those two words in mind, sometimes magnifying may work. For example, I remember Arnold Fine was writing about, he said the ceiling leaks in our home were so bad, we had to take baths with umbrellas open. <laughs> but you take something and you make it even more absurd and then you laugh about it and that, that's it, it's a game changer. Or, or when issues threaten to engulf us and any big deal thinkers here in this audience, like everything's a big deal, right? The issues yeah. out of issues, right? Yeah. Shrinking may help to bring things down to size and I call it the flat tire SOS. And I have it on page 165. I just want to read this to you. And I love this as well because I really think about it all the time. Um, so let's say you have a flat tire and now you're on the side of the road and your whole entire world, that's all you know about your world is you have a flat tire. So, it, so here's what I write. If you hold it up to your face, you won't be able to see one thing. It will engulf your world. But move it back further, further. Oh, look. There's more to the world than one flat tire. Now, then you could start to think rationally, right? And then you could even, you know, actually think of solutions in a very logical, rational form. So then I just write over here, oh, did you take this literally? You didn't have to manually lift the tire. See, a sense of humor makes life easier. I really like that because what I'm getting from that is that having a sense of humor and joy and laughter gives you a sense of perspective. And when you kind of zoom out, when you're not so focused on your problems and you zoom out, then the solutions come, you can think more clearly. And I love what you said, that laughter is divine and strengthens power because you're right. It does connect you to God. It is that joy that I know that's a blind feeling that you're talking about because I felt it before. And it's so sublime and it does connect you to God. And now, now it's, I can really see how simha and happiness and joy and laughter is the way out of exile. But so you know, just before you move on, don't forget yeah. your next sentence, please. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Just okay. wanted to say that because this is so, so important that we need, we said, don't let life pull you down. But most important is laugh at yourself and yeah. continue to have this play in your mind, continue to see yourself from above, like remove the flat tire away from your life and see yourself and laugh at yourself. You do that, you'll be a better everything. Right. Go ahead. Right. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And what I was going to say is that, you know, earlier you were speaking about the concept of sustainable joy. So this is, this is a concept I actually have not heard of before. So I want to ask you if you can please explain to us what sustainable joy actually is and how people can live with that. Like, you know, how we just 
everyday normal people can just live with the concept of sustainable joy in our lives. Okay, so now you're bringing, introducing the, you know, there's like a tripod here. There's laughter, there's humor, and there's joy. Yeah. So I ended up writing one book about laughter and humor. It was going to be just one book, but God runs the world. It turned out, it turned into two books. And so the second book is dedicated specifically to joy. Really, the laughter were, were going to be the middle section, but the publisher said, come on, you have to stop with laughter and humor. We don't have anything like that. Kosher laughter and kosher humor. Yeah. So but, so with the help of the laughter and humor, I, I couldn't believe that I'm going to, I'm not done. Like when he said that to me, I said, groan and moan. You don't mean that. I worked so hard to get this shape in shape, but that's it. That's how life is. And then it worked much better this way. No question about it. So now you mentioned sustainable joy. Yes. So before we talk about sustainable, let's first talk about what is joy. Yes. So we need to define every term in order to understand what we're getting. So I want to talk for a couple of minutes about the difference between joy and happiness. Perfect. Think of a bottle of seltzer. You open it. It's great. It gives you a pickup. Amazing. But it doesn't have a long shelf life. By tomorrow, maybe even later today. Eh, old stuff. I need new now. And happiness is like that. You know, the weather, right? Up and down. So, ha so happiness is a kind of up and down thing. Like the weather, like the stock market, like maybe our nachos quotient, maybe our work day. And uh, that's, by the way, where we put the laughter and humor to work. It needs to work so to keep the happiness up. Yes. But what is joy? Good question. So I'm going to tell you a little like anecdote just to help us understand that. So there was this mountain that was a very tall mountain that nobody can climb it. Something like Mount Everest. Then he tried and failed. Finally, one person made it to the top. And he gets to the top. And lo and behold, he sees a little boy walking around. And he says to the little boy in this astonishment, how did you get here? And the little boy says, I was born here. And this is the perfect analogy for us. We don't have to drive to the nearest joy station, like gas station, joy station, to fill up on our joy because we were born with a natural package and package inside us already, naturally, by our DNA. And this is called our soul, our neshama. And our neshama is, because it's a piece of God, it has all the properties that God has. And a major, major property of God is dazzling, I don't know, beyond bliss, joy that we have never, ever seen. That when Mashiach comes, we'll have the taste of it. But we don't even know what that is, but it's really some kind of amazing bliss. So the natural state of the neshama, the soul, is joy. And the joy and the neshama with that joy, it's always up, never down. It's always on, never asleep. And it's unlimited because God is unlimited. So it's never going to run out. Incredible. Yes. Now, so unhappiness. Now, here's another thing. Unhappiness takes us away from God. Joy brings us closer because you see joy and God, it's like a two for one. You, when you're with God, you're automatically with joy. 
Oh, interesting. When you're, say that again, when you're with God, you're automatically with joy. So I'm giving you like a little sneak preview of my simple formula okay. that I didn't know I had a simple formula. I figured something out that changed my life, you know, because how was I going to, even after I wrote books, I'm still a work in progress. You know, I call myself having an MS, mastering, right? The art of simcha, always more and more. I'm striving for the master of simcha because you know what? We're all human and we all get hit. Am I the one that takes every gift as, you know, everything Allah sent me as if it was a gift straight from, you know, I, you know, we're humans, right? Right. So, so, so God, and I'm, I'm, I can't go into it now, but there is a beautiful verse and that God shows you that God and Simcha, they travel together. Wherever God travels, and he can go wherever he wants, right? He's the king, right? On the chest, the king. The queen can go wherever she wants, not the king, right? Whatever it is, he has, he can just go anywhere. Wherever you let him in, he's there. Yes. Yes. Right? That's what Kutzka said. Where is God? Wherever you let him in. Right. And, and when you let him in, guess what you get? You get divine joy. Because God travels in an amniotic fluid of joy. Wow, that's so vivid. It's like, I can picture that. It's very, wow, it's very descriptive. I like that. Now, on, 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 on conversely, when you tap into joy, now I'm not speaking about happiness because I'm differentiating. I'll tell you in a minute. I'll give you some words. I have a chart in New Joy explaining the difference, and I speak more about it. But when you tap into joy, joy is specifically what you have in your soul that comes from God. Joy, you see, joy doesn't go up and down like the, the weather and the stock market. Joy, because it's God, it's forever, it's enduring. So here we go. I'll give you a little bit. Joy, joy is, happiness is external, right? Joy is internally generated, unaffected by the things that happen to us. Uh, happiness takes, joy is giving. Wow, okay. Um, happiness depends on things that are given, right? But joy is proactive, and because it's so independent, it can actually it, it can actually generate and pour and give out. Happiness is self-centered. Joy transcends our own needs. Wow. Okay. So you know, this is the beauty of joy that it has no ego. No ego. You have. Do you know how we love to hang around joyful people? Because yes. they are busy being joyful about me. And I love that. So <laughs> we all hang around them. So that's the beauty of living with joy. Joy is so wholesome. It's sincere and clean. When you live with joy, your mind is clean. You're not holding on to resentments and dependence. So I go through that, like right in my first, in my first session, I go through this whole thing. Show them how I came to this and how we, something that is so doable. Whatever happened to me, I know it can happen to somebody else because I'm everybody. Like I'm, I'm just regular. I'm an ordinary person. I'm not the joy genius my grandfather was, you know? So I have to learn it and practice it. But I, it's amazing how my heart is able to clear the debris and how it's able to fill it more and more, make it more heartfelt, live more wholesomely. Now, I do want to say, so yeah, okay, let me, before I do, before I say what I do want to say, so I'm, I want to make that clear. 
if you want joy, get yourself out of the picture. Right, no ego, right, yes. Right. The beauty of joy is it's giving, it's giving. And that's the, that's the fact about us. If we want to live beautifully, we have to live with the credo that we're here to make a difference. So we have to need to get out of ourselves and beyond ourselves. We have to rise above the fray of our daily wants and needs, you know, like all those things. And when we're focused on what we're here to achieve, what we're here to give, and the impact we can make on one person at a time, that's fine. That's beautiful. One smile at a time. Amazing. We all have smiles with no end, an endless, really. And even if a person can't talk because, God forbid, whatever happened, they can still smile. It's what a power. It's also the gift, one of those gifts Hashem gave. I do write about it. When we're focused on that, we live with the joy of purpose. And those are one of the keys. I have six keys of, of joy, and we develop that much more fully. How, what does it mean, and so on. And to also experience it. And so one thing that I wanted to tell you something, it does take work. It does take work. Just because we discover it doesn't mean the next day, bang, I'm the happiest, jolliest, most joyful person in the universe. It's an ongoing, and you know what? The process is magnificent because as long as you're working with joy, it's joyful. Right. So that's what I was going to ask you. But before I ask you to go into that, you know, I, I, you mentioned your grandfather that he was a genius of joy. I think there's a lot of richness and depth there. And I just want to go to that place for just a few minutes. You know, your grandfather, I'm, I'm sure he went through a lot. I don't know exactly what he went through, but I'm sure his life wasn't exactly. A lot. A lot. Right. Right. So how was he able, in your, in your opinion, how was he able to be joyful and to sustain that joy and to radiate that joy to his family, to his children, to his grandchildren, considering that he went through so much? Beautiful question. And I didn't even have that on my notes, but I'm so happy you asked that about, you know, because I do talk about that in my courses and this is going to give us a lot. So, you know, everybody is, you know, when it comes to math, not everybody's a math genius, right? Mm -hmm. He happened to have been pretty good at numbers in his head. But I can call him also maybe a math genius. So he, I think he combined the two. <laughs> so what, but what, you don't have to be a math genius at all because we all practice this without realizing. Let's say I'm born, when I was a young child, I was the happiest person. And so were you and so were each one of us that I'm talking to that I don't see, but I feel you. I feel your presence, everybody. I feel your joy. I feel your desire and your thirst and you're, and you're getting there. And you, as you're listening to this, you feel that just coming up and bubbling up in you. And uh, so my grandfather was born like all of us, the happiest children. And then life, imagine my life. So I say, well, something happened. And so far my, it scooped off 10% of my 100%. And now I have 90%. And then something else happened and scooped off some more. And, you know, by the time I made my child's wedding, oh, I had like 70, 65% left. Of course, at the wedding, I definitely charged up. But listen, I'm not the same person I was after all. You know what I went through in my life, right? So, but that's my math. Simple, right? You just take off a little bit. You don't have to be a math genius to do that. My father was a joy, uh, my grandfather was this joy genius who knew how to do his math, just the opposite. Every time something 
was lost. Sometimes he lost something and he lost, he, he was married. He lost three wives. He lost children, stillborn and twins and all kinds of things. So the more he lost, the more he valued the amount that he had left. So the amount that instead of having less left, each thing became larger and he had more left instead. What he did is he aggrandized the value of what he had. So every little thing became valuable. And the little thing, and even that, like that the feeling, look, he tells me, he calls me, he says, Gitala, look up, look, look at this, it's nice and dry in here. There are no leaks. Well, what? Yeah. <laughs> I, you want to be, oh, I could be happy. I could be happy about that. You mean that nothing's going wrong and I can be happy about that? Wow, that's genius. It really is, yes. And then what I took away from that, that's my first takeaway, my gratitude when I do these rungs for I have a whole session where we climb up a lot of rungs and we get to a most magnificent level of gratitude because gratitude, by the way, is an amazing way to get to joy. At any time, we all have a billion things to be grateful for, but it can put it in the back of your mind, absentmindedly. You have to bring it front center and really live it, live it. And I learned how to live it more and more because I wanted to be like some more like my grandfather and have it pour out of me like that. That was amazing. So, so he was able to take a little thing. And so I said from that, I said, something special is always going on. True. Very true. So wow. that kind of led me into the whole idea of gratitude, which I definitely wanted to make sure we talk about. Because that is not just sustainable joy, that is joy that is available at any time. As soon as you feel your mind going into a negative zone, immediately think about something that we have to be grateful for. And if you sit down and write some things up, write up a list of 10 things, I would love to do it now if we had time, and then have it, then you're going to start thinking from what your mind is going to work that way. I had this amazing um, little um, saying I saw somewhere, a positive mind finds opportunities in everything. A negative mind finds fault in everything. So listen, I know we have, we are wired with it. We're automatically why God wired us that way because he wants us to make the choice. Yes. We talk a lot about that and we outsmart our wiring system in my course. <laughs> we literally outsmart it. We outnavigate it. We come wise to the ways and we go a different route. So we're always going to find fault. What I don't have, I re react to the things that are going wrong much more quickly than what's going right. Not just we react and by thinking, we speak it. But when they do it right, that is the absent-minded thought in the back of my mind. But God, why does that way? Because he wants us to take joy courses and make pro and choices and choose God, choose joy, choose God, because they really turn out to be one and the same. And yeah. Well, so that's, so that's what I kind of wanted to ask you next, because we're, we're talking about joy, the importance of joy, and we've differentiated joy from happiness. And this is all amazing. And I know that we all want to put this into practice in our lives. So my, my real question is, the, 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 the big million dollar question is, 
how can you experience joy when something terrible happens? What if somebody becomes sick? What if somebody loses their jobs and they're facing financial difficulties? What if they're in a challenging relationship? You know, how can people have sustainable joy or really any joy at all for that matter when they're experiencing such hardships, like real hardships? So I'm glad you weren't afraid to ask that question. Some people are afraid to touch on real life. Yeah. Real life. If we're going to be real and we have truth, then we have to be able to talk about real life. When I say real life, of course, real life is wonderful. Like, as we said, depends how you're looking at it, right? And if, and if we get into the, and, and the little things that come up, yeah, we could find a lot of things that are wrong, but we can immediately take ourselves to a place of gratitude. But what happens when life hits me over the head? Right. And joy is not living in la-la land. You're saying, no, no, it didn't happen. Come on. You know, you just got hit over the head. You just got a hammer blow and you just landed on the floor. You can't just get up. You know, I just like had a huge blow this summer. I couldn't get up right away. My breath was knocked out of me. And my husband said, okay, can you get up? I said, no, 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 not now. It took me a while. Now that we can't just. So when we get as vets, you know, we have to go into the recovery room phase. I'll repeat that again. It's something I call the recovery room phase or stage and this is i'm going to explain so yeah in life sometimes we need the various procedures sometimes it's a more minor procedure and so just like one two three you can get out sometimes it's a more major procedure you need to stay longer in recovery room no they never let you hang around more than they think that time you know you're always looking to get out get out Yes. When we get an emotional blow, it's not the same as that physical. Sometimes it's even more um, affect affects us even more deeply and more profoundly. But uh, we need to look at our situation as that we are now in recovery room. And how long do we want to stay there? So we want to get out sooner rather than later. We don't want to hang around for something that needs a year, um, five years. You don't want to go in there permanently. We have to keep looking at ourselves, thinking, how am I doing? How, you know, am I making my way out of here? And think about that. Now, I will offer two more things to use even when we are in recovery room phase. And one thing is, I actually have a chapter in New Joy mm-hmm. in which I write, I think 12 reasons to, for a Jew to be happy 24-7, like constant reasons. So uh, when we're crying, mm-hmm. we're not just crying tears, salt tears. We're actually also, there's also some sugar in there because at, at all times we have 12 reasons to be joyful. And actually yesterday I was hunting back and forth. I said I had something very nice about Moshe Rabbeinu, our great leader, Moses. So let me see if I can find it. I have it on either one of two papers here. Just one minute. And then we'll have it here. And here we are. I think we're here. Yeah. Okay. So it happens to be as we're recording this now um, for a long time. No, for the rest of the year we're going to be involved with Mo- you know the beginning of the year we were doing the patriarchs but uh, now the rest of the year we're involved with Moshe Rabbeinu Moses 
So what I write in New Joy on page 80, I finally found it. I had to look through both books and said, where is this? Um, our tears are affected only because we mix them with a special ingredient, the joy. And that is at the base of every neshama. Remember we said every neshama has in it the joy. Yes. Now, when the daughter of Paroi, Pharaoh, went out to bathe in the Nile River, she heard a baby crying. And she said, if you open up the text, you'll see it says, oh, it's one of the Hebrew children. How did she know? I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> oh, for you. Because a Jewish cry is unique. Even when a Jew cries, a Jew is filled with hope and optimism and Jewish joy. Wow. So even when we're crying, so, you know, crying is a continuum. At one end is abysmal sorrow. And the other end is blissful joy. But we Jews, you know, we are all joy geniuses. We have the ability to literally live two coexisting emotions. And actually, Tanya, the end of chapter 34, it ends exactly with that. That we can have, we have two sides to our hearts, everybody, right? You'll have two sides to our heart. I don't think anybody's living with one side. We need two sides. I know there are certain organs that can handle one side, one, but the heart needs two. Yes. So on one side, there's the crying. And we had what to cry about. And we may have now what to cry about. All of us know what we're dealing with. And on the right side is the joy. So it can be concurrent. People think when you're shut down, you, have, you, can't, you can't laugh anymore. It's not true. And we're, I just want to tell everybody that we all have the equipment, the godly, the divine ability to have, to able to mix two things together. It's amazing. There was even a sage who was able to cry simultaneously out of his eyes to opposite tears. Now, I'm not saying anyone knows that trick. If you could, you'll probably make a lot of money if you want to go on, on the showbiz route. But we all... Um, have this amazing talents and equipment. I love that. The, the ability to mix sorrow with joy and then use the joy to bring us out of the sorrow. You know, it's levels. Like, I don't know, maybe some people live in one family houses, but many people either live in buildings and have multiple floors or in a house with a few floors. And so imagine these levels. We are created with levels. And we also have levels. Our brain has three levels, right? We have a lot of levels in us. So we do have the ability to do levels, level living. Well, this is beautiful. Now we're, now we're really going to get into the practical of all this because I, I want to ask you one last question, but I think this is going to bring everything together because you are such a happy and positive person. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share some last words of inspiration to guide us on our journey into a life of happiness. So could you please share with us how you personally maintain a state of happiness, especially, and here's where we get down to business, especially when you personally are experiencing something particularly difficult in your life. How do you personally live with joy? Because, you know, if we could see one person doing it, we can, we can be inspired because we could say, hey, look, she's doing it. I could do it too. So I want to really make this real life concrete example. So it's interesting. And you said something before I said, wow, I'm going to call on that at the end. And I don't remember. 
but so, um, that's fine because one, you know, one thing is this is how I live now. I live with an equanimity that God, like he's become my BFF, you know, like if he does it, whatever he's doing is exactly right. So for example, I remember that somebody asked the question, what happens when something terrible happens in your life? See, I don't think that sentence. I just do a little editing. I say when something seems terrible in my life, it's never really bad. So we, first of all, we have to do that. We have to, we have to live with the idea that God, everything that happens, God is good. You see, the word is almost the same. It's just a typo, God and good. So anything that happens is good. So first of all, you have to make that a basic premise. Now, there are some people that live very difficult lives and became bitter, and they lost, which means they lost living with God. Because God, if he, even if he does something that looks terrible, he's actually, and this is what I always say to myself, and I've lived through some painful things. I say, God, oh, it's killing. I know it's a gift. I know it's a gift, and I'm calling it a gift. And if it's a gift, then God, you know what you do for gifts. We thank people. God, thank you for the gift. But you know what? There is something called bitachon. And I want to explain what it is. So whatever happened in the past from, in my life, I know you, God, gave it to me. And it was, I benefited from it. And I needed to have it. And it was designed expressly for me because everything is designed for me. I know there's a bigger picture. I know there's even a bigger picture because I also have lived through many you know, um, Gilgulim, which are called reincarnation. So I may be part of a very big picture. I understand, I acknowledge that. But bitachon means whatever was past, I thank you for. And now what's in the future? I thank Hashem for what's unfolding as well. And my thank yous are not only based on the past, by the way. I just want to say my thank yous are also future oriented. And that's a beautiful thing for all of us to add to our pack bag of goodies to walk away with. But I say, bitachon means Hashem. I know that you have the ability to change my life now. And I also know how to do it because did you know everybody that um, the perspective that we have actually shapes our life? I don't know if you are familiar with this. There's a lot of talk about it. And I don't know if anybody here has ever studied science, but there's something quantum mechanics that has stymied even the scientists because it's so godly that they just can't wrap their brain around it. Basically, it means that things are in an undetermined state. And when a person comes over and observes it, that's when it takes on the state. In other words, life is one way or another. Situations are one way or another. And we have the ability to view it. And we say, this looks like good news, but I'm going to view this I'm sorry, it looks like bad news, but I'm going to view this as good news. God, it's good news. And that has a stunning ability to change it into good news. And now the scientists have discovered the secret. So there's not just positive psychologists, but also scientists. So, you know, so I've learned the art of reframing. And for example, I have a chapter in New Joy, and it's called When Life surprises you with a quote around it and when i was in the middle of editing that chapter i had the nastiest surprise one of the nastiest surprises of my life so i was able to look in the book and see like what does the have to offer yeah. 
And one thing I live with a lot is don't get stuck in a rut. Look for the redemptive spark. There's a redemptive spark in every moment. And when you start looking for it relentlessly, you will discover it. You will discover it and you will turn around and you will find light. Sometimes it's hard on your own to come up with this. Sometimes people need starters, like, how do you do that? I'm so stuck. And that's what we're here for. And like we share with each other and we try, you know, we give each other what we need, the tools and the perspectives, because you can't just think of every perspective on your own. And I love to say, this is a favorite of mine, like when things don't work out the way you plan, and that happens a lot, I immediately, it's my default now. Plan A didn't work. Okay, plan B will be better. I love that. I love that because it shows an optimism. It shows a hope. It's even beyond optimism. It shows a hope. And I think that's where people get stuck a lot. Like they, they lose hope or they can't find the hope. You know, and then they get really stuck in their situation and they're just drowning, literally drowning because they don't see the light. They don't see the hope. They don't see the positive. They just, it's just so dark for them. And I feel awful for them because like you said, if you reframe it and you look for that redemptive spark, that, that small, teeny tiny spot of hope, that could be the key to lifting you out of your darkness. Right. right. So, you know, that, I think that was the thing that I was holding on to before was that word optimism. So when I said the word bitachon, do you know how that translates? I know it, it means trust. And you know, there's something called emuna, which is faith. And there's something called bitachon, which is trust. And the chavot halvavot explains trust the way I said. I know there's another opinion about what trust is, but we follow the chavot halvavot, that it actually can change what's unfolding for me right now, even if I'm not worthy. I can't give you the whole thing. It's a whole talk explaining how it doesn't matter because my trust makes me worthy because God, because trust is hard. Trust yeah. is not easy. Yeah. When someone's telling you that this person is failing and I don't know what's going to happen, you're going to trust? It's murder. And how do you know a person is trusting? By the joy. If, if you have joy, that's a clear. God says, you're awesome. You are able to pull out joy that is an amazing merit for you. So I want to tell you the English definition of bitachon. Two words. Confidence and optimism. Let's put optimism first. Optimism. So people tell me, and I had, I intended, and I'm glad people see this. So in this book, the first eight chapters, I built a lot of optimism into it. I also, when, optimism is necessary. We yes. need, even if we are what you call the realists, and we always see like what can go wrong, we need to learn the language of optimism. Just like plan A didn't work, plan B will be better. Right. God always has a better plan for us. And so it's a language. So this is very important for us to know two things, okay, about Simcha. One is, um, and I didn't share that, but I'm going to share it now, that as I was researching that pure joy, oh, I'm so glad that I remembered to share this. By the way, what I so that's equanimity. Whatever I didn't remember to share, I'm not going to finish after and go. Oh, I should have shared that because no, everything happens the perfect way. Whatever needs to be said will be said. And that's equanimity. So, um, you know, what was I going to say? Where were we, we headed? Help me out. Um, optimism, bitahon, confidence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. 
Absolutely. Like you said, but you, you know what, this is just, this illustrates what you said, you know, if it's, if it's supposed to be said, it's supposed to be said, and it will be said, and if it's not supposed to be said, then it's not supposed to be said, and it won't be said. <laughs> you there just you go. Tested me right in front of all of you, and it's exactly so. So I'm going to, I don't remember what I was going to say, but uh, something with optimism, but that basically that when we, so I said that already, right? So I'm going to share something else now about the work, okay? Okay, we have like one more minute. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to share about the work. Okay. So um, the work, I said, Roy takes effort. So I'm just going to share a little anecdote, okay? We didn't share sure. any. Yeah. So so this woman is walks into a store when they're selling fans. And, uh, you know, the old-fashioned fans, and, you know, you walk around with them. And she wants to get a bargain, so she's checking and checking and checking and trying and trying and trying. And finally, she found... A finds a fan and it's actually the cheapest fan in the store. It only costs two pennies and she pays for it and she walks out with her fan. And then not too long after she comes back with a fan and she says, I'm sorry, this fan is broken. I'm like, it's so new and it already broke. So the man in the store says to her, well, tell me, how did you use it? So she says, what do you mean? I, I hold it in front of me and I waved it back and forth. He says, oh, that's how you do with the better fans. But this fan is much more delicate. So with this fan, you wave your head and just don't move the fan. <laughs> so the point is that we actually have to invest in our joy. And uh, when we have, it's an investment. We can't just say, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to take a one-time thing I heard and use that we actually just like, do you brush your teeth every day? You need also to keep working at that joint, even though you get perspective, you need to incorporate them into your life. For sure. And, yes. and I guess we'll rest there. And whatever I didn't remember, you're all going to come back. Yes. And get some other time. Yes, and they have your your two books. Your "It's Okay to Laugh" seriously book and the new joy response to a ch changing world. So all the information is in there. And if anybody ever wants to take a course then I guess they'll just have to contact you because I don't have a link to put on the uh, on your chat. I'm not on my desktop now. I'm on a phone. That's so, fine. I will. Um, I Everybody can contact me. And I can put them in touch with you and it's no problem. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Gitty, for joining us on America's Top Robinsons. It was really a pleasure to have you with us. And may all the learning we did today be for Rafu Shalema, for Bracha, but Nahama Leia. Thank you so much. I did remember what I had to say. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so so I said is a language that we learn, but I also wanted to make that point, and we said it, but I'm going to just say it now to sum up. Simcha is also something very deep. So when I was researching that magic secret, not the magic, the secret word that I couldn't figure out, the pure joy, mm -hmm. it sent me on an intense search in Kabbalistic mystical text of oh, so many pages and I was going in and in and in God like the God's inner workings and I realized that Simcha is not just a state that you have to push yourself in that Simcha is very very deep and very inner divine and that's the point beautiful okay thank you so much